Have you ever thought about how our world is being shaped? Where are we headed and what might we leave behind? You're listening to Nextcasts, presented by Swissnext San Francisco, where we examine the forces shaping our emergent future through conversations with scientists, entrepreneurs, artists, and designers. Welcome to our very first episode of Nextcasts, which we're super excited to launch alongside the opening of the Swiss Next Salon, which is a series of activities happening over the next two months that explores the impact of technology on our society. In our first episode, we'll hear from an experimental philosopher and artist who was behind our recent exhibition in the Swiss Next Gallery called The Mental Work Showroom. It was essentially a factory that ran on workers' brainwaves. And this project combined philosophy, neuroscience, and art, so it was truly interdisciplinary, which is at the core of our work here at Swissnext. So here's our first episode with Jonathan Keats, where he explains how the project came about and explores ideas and questions on the future of human and machine interaction. My name is Jonathan Keats, and I am an experimental philosopher and artist based in San Francisco and also in Northern Italy. I've been working for the past five years on an art and science exhibition in collaboration with EPFL to try to integrate brain-computer interfaces into an experience that will allow people to investigate possible futures. So Jonathan, as you've said, you're an artist and experimental philosopher based here in San Francisco and Northern Italy. So can you tell us about why you collaborated with EPFL in Switzerland on this project? EPFL is really an extraordinary school because there's so much primary research taking place. And one of the areas that it is particularly strong in is within the realm of neuroscience. And specifically, there's a lot of work happening in neuroprosthetics that is considered some of the best in the world. So from my standpoint, several years ago, wanting to do a project that was exploring the future of brains and their potential interaction with computers and with machines There was really no place better than EPFL. And frankly, there was really nobody better than Jose Milan as a collaborator. Jose is very much a scientist who has great technological chops as well, but he is primarily really involved in trying to understand how the brain works at the level of, for instance, motor imagery and other means by which we act on the world through activity that happens within the brain. He's interested in this primarily from the standpoint of trying to make the world more livable for quadriplegics, for instance, for trying to figure out how people who don't have the ability to maneuver their bodies on their own might be able to do so through the mechanism of machinery. 
But he's also very interested in the larger questions of what happens when you are in a system, you're a part of a system that is inclusive of not only yourself, but also the machinery that is directly coupled to you to the extent that only in the past your body was. It's not something that we are really prepared for in terms of the fact that we grow up with and in our bodies, but not with computers that are able to read our minds, let alone to be able to operate robotics at our command. As a result, the world that Jose is investigating is one that not only is filled with questions and problems at the level of the basic neuroscience and also at the level of the technology that might be able to enlist that neuroscience, but also philosophically speaking, this is really new territory. What does it mean when you become disembodied and in a sense re-embodied in machines that are not yourself? Do they become a part of you? How do you integrate that into your body schema? There are many philosophical questions that, to me, given my background and training in philosophy, are inherently interesting in the first place. There also are questions that are more in an ethical vein to do with what our relationship is and will be with machines, which is particularly fraught when you get into a realm where machines are at some level reading your mind and at some level are doing what your body would have done in the past. And more broadly, when you get into all of the ways in which the machine might potentially not do what you think the machine is doing, all the ways in which potentially this technology can be used malevolently as much as it can be used for good. We're really at a crossroads right now because technology has become sophisticated enough that it threatens our sense of self, threatens our sense of what makes us most human, which is to say that it is in some sense able to do what we thought only our brains could. In artificial intelligence, this is a significant conversation right now, but it is equally relevant as a conversation within the realm of brain-computer interfaces, and perhaps brain-computer interfaces as a parallel to AI can be a way in which to think about artificial intelligence and vice versa, as both of these come to give us alternate ways in which we engage with our minds and our minds engage with the world. So can you tell us about your background in philosophy and the role of art in this project and how you use art as a vehicle for investigation? My background in philosophy makes me curious about the ethics as well as some of the more classical questions of self. But the apparatus that I use to investigate this is outside of any sort of academic tradition. 
it is within the realm of art. I don't have any training as an artist. I can't draw. I can't paint. But I escaped philosophy quite deliberately because philosophy purported to have all the answers. And if I were to be a philosopher, I was supposed to be the one delivering them, or at least I was meant to be the one coming up with certainties. I'm not certain about anything. And the reason that I got into philosophy in the first place is because I'm interested in the questions and I'm interested in how we undertake big investigations and how we do so collectively. The other part of philosophy that was disturbing to me was how few people were involved in the conversation, that it was a specialized conversation in a very specific academic context where most people couldn't understand, let alone contribute to the conversations taking place. So I abandoned philosophy early on in order to find a way to do philosophy as I imagined it was done in the past, which is probably my own fiction, but at least as I think that it needs to be done now and as it can be done in the future, and that is experientially. The thought experiment is a classic way in which to operate in philosophy. It's an argument that is meant to appear to be a sort of a story that you are telling to somebody, leading them on into an absurdity that ultimately forces them to take the position that you had in the first place, that you essentially were building up to, and therefore it is a rhetorical tool rather than a genuine experiment. My thought from the very beginning when I started thinking about thought experiments was that they could actually be experimental. And even if philosophers weren't going to use them in that way, I could do so. In other words, I could set up parallel worlds, alternate scenarios, and allow people to interact in them, and interact in them myself as well. And that through those interactions, we could investigate other possibilities, possible futures, other ways in which we might act in the world, other ways in which we might think about ourselves and our society. I've been doing that ever since. As a philosopher operating in the arts, where you can get away with that. You can't really get away with what I do in academia, certainly not within traditional philosophy. But the arts are so completely open-ended. Some might say that they're so lost in terms of their identity that you can really do anything, and you can potentially do so with many people, with a broad audience where people are not specialized in any given way because art is no longer a specialization. It's no longer a skill set. It's now more of a space in which anything can happen. So I undertake philosophy within the art world, and I have, in the case of mental work, been doing so with the idea of taking up some of the many questions that arise given the cognitive revolution that we are undergoing right now, where 
we are suddenly faced with artificial intelligence and brain-computer interfaces that are potentially capable of doing much of what our minds did in the past, much as the Industrial Revolution took over for much of what our muscle could do, that this cognitive revolution and the implications for the future of work seem to me to be something that really needs a philosophical investigation by all of us, because we're all going to be a part of that future. It affects all of us. And if we're to figure out a fair and equitable way in which to operate, and also to figure out a humane way in which to live and to coexist, that's only going to happen if we have real conversations before the technologies become so advanced that they are already essentially foregone conclusion. So as you've said, this project raises questions about how we might work in the future. And it's a question that we should all think about, but maybe we don't get the opportunity or space to ask ourselves these questions or explore what possibilities there might be. So I'm interested to know, um, what were you hoping the audience would get out of the experience of mental work? I try not to have too specific a set of goals when I start out on a project. The first part of it is investigatory. Usually it starts with something that interests me or serendipitously several different things that I'm reading or talking about, hearing about, that all come together in configurations that seem like they might actually somehow speak to each other. In the case of mental work, I was hearing a lot about the future of work and trepidations as well as a certain sort of irrational exuberance that we would be freed no longer to have to toil. And neither one of these really seemed realistic to me. But on the other hand, both of them seemed like they needed to be investigated and they needed to be investigated not only by me, but by all of us, because all of us are in it together as far as what we make of the future. Simultaneous with my growing interest in the future of work was an increasing interest in brain-computer interfaces and in the ways in which they essentially short-circuit the connection between mind and body by becoming a sort of a surrogate body. And that is something that has been used in medicine to great effect already, and will be even more so, mobilizing people who otherwise wouldn't have mobility. But it's also highly fraught in terms of what it is to be human, in terms of how your mind relates to your body and the degree to which they can be separated from each other. This goes all the way back to Descartes, and we still haven't resolved it. The connection between mind-body problem and all of its different manifestations and the problem of the future of work, maybe these are not questions that naturally go together or that are common to take up at the same time. The questions of the future of work tend to be pragmatic questions, and they tend to come out of both elation and trepidation. 
whereas the problems of the mind-body, uh, the problems of how the mind relates to the body tend to be more abstract. They certainly kept Descartes up at night, but probably not many others. However, I think that when you put these together, you maybe have the potential to start asking questions that are really related to both, where each can, at some level, inform the other. And this starts out for me, as every project does, as an instinct, simply that these are questions that are interesting to me, they're interesting simultaneously, and there's some sort of connective thread, which may be very tenuous. In this case, the fact that brain-computer interfaces could enter into the workplace as a way in which people might operate machines. But what happens when you put them together really is an open-ended thought experiment, an open-ended investigation that is only going to happen when you bring in a wide and diverse set of people from Switzerland, from the United States, from around the world, who are able to bring in their experiences into a specific situation that is somehow embodying qualities of all of these different strands that come together in terms of the larger questions that I believe can emerge when we think about the future of work in terms of the mind-body problem and vice versa. So what happened? So you put people into a position of being in a factory and have them operate machines using only their minds. Well, what can you do to make that more problematic? That's, generally speaking, one of the questions that I will ask myself early on. One thing that you can do is that you can disrupt the algorithms that in the case of mental work, your partner, Jose Milan, has worked so incredibly hard at making work as well and as smoothly as possible. But if you perturb them, you have the potential to start asking what they are and what they're doing. And that then maybe provides an opening into this question of where power lies and where you might be able to leverage the human in the equation of human-computer interaction, particularly in coercive environments such as the workplace. Not that every workplace is coercive, but they do have a tendency to become so, and certainly the Industrial Revolution bears out that experience in many ways over a long period of time. So if you create a an imaginary workspace, a workspace that's a parallel world, that's a possible world. And what you do in it is that you allow a supervisor to alter the algorithm that is the algorithm that the worker is operating. You then make manifest that there is an algorithm, that there are choices being made, and that Therefore, there is a possibility of accountability and that accountability, in fact, is necessary. And it's happening here on the factory floor in the case of mental work, but it's really happening by and large in the development cycle. So you bring people into that development cycle. And through doing that, you start a process then of 
looking, I think, more deeply at, at what technology does when technology intervenes in terms of what we think we're doing and what we're actually doing. And that is really where it becomes, I think, reflective of and maybe becomes a manifestation of the mind-body problem. That is to say that technologies are wedges into the space between mind and body in that they are alternate ways in which mind and matter interact with each other, or they are forms of amplification or of dampening. So suddenly you start to see that, first of all, most every technology is doing this. Your smartphone is also doing this. But secondly, that these tools that can be so incredibly coercive can also potentially be philosophical instruments, that we can enlist them to be able to wedge ourselves into the space between what we think and what we do, and to find in that relationship maybe that it is not as binary as Descartes wanted or as his followers have made it out to be, that maybe there are some nuances there, and potentially that technology can work those nuances. And what that leads to, I don't know, but I think that it might lead to some sort of a multidimensional mind-body problem as opposed to a binary, which is what we operate with today. So this project was first shown at EPFL in Switzerland, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts about the significance of showing mental work in San Francisco. The Bay Area is a place where the future is being imagined and built. It's a place where people who are enthusiastic about technology come and make that technology available to the world. Therefore, it is a place that is inherently biased toward technology being the answer and toward newer technology being the best answer, the better answer at least. And that to me is a dangerous way of thinking. I'm not for or against technology. I'm by no means a Luddite, even though I still don't own a cell phone. I do this because I don't feel that I need it. I have a computer, and I use the internet on a regular basis. I use what I need, and I think that this is not something that I would impose on others in terms of saying that you shouldn't have a cell phone, but something that I would urge upon others in terms of asking whether you really need it and what you are getting from it and what it is taking from you in exchange. We need in the Bay Area to have art and other means by which we are having deep conversations about technology and its value and our relationship with it and our values as relate to that relationship. We need to have that conversation as both the producers and the consumers of that technology. And it's more urgent here than anywhere else in the world because this is both the center 
of where so much technology gets built. And also, it is the perceived center of where all technology comes from. Therefore, to build a facility such as mental work here is both literally a way in which to get people of the Bay Area to interact with possible futures and therefore to get in the habit of doing so, futures that may not have anything to do with brain-computer interfaces. It might be about AI or whatever else. But in general, to get into this habit of prototyping the future, this habit of asking what if, that's part of it. And another part of it is that we're broadcasting, or at least we're podcasting here. We're putting this out in the world, and the authority that comes from doing it in the Bay Area is actually quite profound. People listen to what happens here. So when you build a factory of the future, when you build a thought experiment that's about technology, and you do it in the Bay Area, it is a way in which to amplify the implications, especially when the people who are participating in it are those who are ostensibly going to decide what your next iPhone does or whether your next car is able to drive itself. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Jonathan, on our first episode of Nextcasts and for sharing your ideas and insights into this project and into human and machine interactions. I think you've given me and our audience a lot to think about. And for our listeners out there, if you're in the Bay Area and you're interested in becoming part of this ongoing conversation around the impact of technology on our society, please come along to one of our events happening during the Swissnex Salon until December 8. For full details, visit swissnexsf.org. Thanks for listening.